everybody, we're going to get started. Sorry to break the fellowship. Please find your seats and please find a hymn book. Please stand with me. We'll turn to 122. Thank you all for coming. Welcome to Bible Baptist Church. Sing as loud as you can for 122. Send the lights. That's what we're supposed to do. Send the lights to all the world. Praise the Lord and share about our Lord Jesus Christ. Send the lights.
last announcement that I have for you, and all these, we do have one of these sheets out on the back. Uh, I believe there's still some more back there, so we have them if you want to know what's going on for the next several weeks. Uh, December 31st, that's New Year's Eve. We're going to do a New Year's Eve party. Never done it before. We'll see how it goes. We'll have pizza, snacks, games, um, and we'll stay as long as people want to. And we don't have to stay till midnight or 1 o'clock. But if you want to, well, we'll be tired, but we'll do it. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to, uh, if you don't want to, that's fine too. We can all go home whenever. But we'll just have dinner together and we'll have some, uh, you know, some snacks and goodies and we'll get some board games and stuff like that, card games like Phase 10, Skip Boat, you know, whatever. We'll just bring them all out and we'll just have a good time playing together and spending time together. So that should be fun. So that is what we have for right now for announcements. And uh, Brother Elliot, I texted him this morning and he called me right after. I was worried I might wake him up. He says, Pastor, I'm 10 minutes from the house. He says, I'm about to get off the exit. So he's doing good, but he said he was pretty tired. So... Uh, so he's, I'm assuming he only had a few minutes left. He's there and he's probably sleeping at this point. So that's a blessing. But he's already in Florida? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he left yesterday morning as, as opposed to. Right. Yeah, you said 24 hours and 15 minutes. I think you said he made it down there. He must have taken a nap on the way. <laughs> so that's, that's moving. That's a pretty good clip. Uh, so, yeah. So that's good. And. Uh, pray for mom. She's her back is messed up again. She's bedridden right now. So um, pray for her. It seems like there's a couple others. She'll probably come to me later. But uh, that's all I have for announcements for right now. Elijah, you want to come on down? Yes, sir. Can you pray for the offering? Yes, Pastor. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day, Lord. I pray we have a good time in your word, Lord. I pray speak to the pastor. Help us to get something amazing out of your word, Lord. I pray add to our faith. Help us to grow. Um, Lord, help give us something to um, add to our faith, Lord, as we go home today, Lord. I pray help us to have a good day um, serving you today, Lord. I pray that we serve you every day and give you the glory. I pray help us um, please speak to your pastor, Lord. Help us have a good time tonight. Well, today as well. In Jesus' name, amen.
together we're going to read the first six verses because it it gives us the context and then we will <coughs> work our way down through the passage uh, or through the through the message here Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 it says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the privilege of having a place to meet and the option of assembling together, the, the liberty to assemble together to worship you and to praise you, uh, to teach and preach your word, to learn and grow. And I pray, Father, that today we would do just that. I pray that you would be honored and glorified, that you'd be magnified, 
that your word would be lifted up. I pray that uh, we would be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and to your word, and that through all these things you would work in us and change and make and mold us to be more of who you'd have us to be. I pray we'd be different when we're done today, Lord. I pray our souls would be on fire and that nothing else would matter but to live for you. I pray that we'd long and desire to let our life be a witness and to tell others the message of the gospel, the good news that you have for us. Lord, I just ask you to work today, to accomplish your will today, and I pray that in all of it you'd be pleased and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I kind of, I'm not going to take a long time to introduce the passage because we've, we've been working slowly down through these seven ones, as I said. And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is dealing with walking worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That's our theme, walk worthy. Uh, that's our theme for this year. And in so doing, he gets down a little ways and he starts dealing with keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I believe that's what these seven ones and a lot of this, this passage are dealing with is unity in the church body, which this is the church at Ephesus that the letter was penned to. So that's, what, um, that's what's being dealt with here. So this morning, we're going to deal with verse 6, the final verse, the final one, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the first thing is, there is one God. There is one God. And um, when you think about it, there are lots of little g-gods in the world. And, uh, uh, you know, not that... I just told you there is one God, and then the very next thing I said was there are many little g-gods. So it's kind of a, a contradictory statement, but understand what I'm saying. There are lots of gods that are not gods at all, but they are gods in people's lives. They make them gods because they allow them to be in substitute or in place of the one true God in their life. And some of those things that are false gods, uh, Satan is worshipped as God. Um, other devils are worshipped as gods. I believe a lot of your false religions, like your, your Greek mythology and a lot of that stuff, likely comes from some of those devils that have been worshipped. Uh, I believe that, uh, so there are, creation is worshipped as God. Doesn't Romans tell us they worshipped and served the creation more than the creator? So creation is worshipped as God. Uh, men are worshipped as gods. Self is worshipped as God. Sometimes people put themselves on the throne. Uh, we have, that's what a lot of our humanistic views do today. That's what humanism essentially is, is viewing self as God and just working to make yourself as good and have as much as you possibly can. Possessions, items, or desired possessions and items can all be gods in our lives. So we need to be careful that we as Christians don't allow other things besides the one true God to sit on the throne in our lives, but that we keep Him where He belongs as the one true God in our lives. Uh, so there are many little g-gods in the world, but there is only one God, one true God. There are three persons in the Godhead, but only one God. While we have seen mention of the Spirit in this passage, it said there is one body and one Spirit, and then down verse 5, it says, one Lord. So we see two of the, 
the persons of the Trinity mentioned. Now we have one God and Father of all who is above all and in, through all and in you all. So we have uh, the three persons of the Godhead, of the Trinity, and yet there's only one God. That can be confusing. Uh, that can be uh, difficult to comprehend or to understand sometimes. And while we've seen mention of those others, here in this passage, we're just referring to one God. 1 John 5, 7, maybe it's a familiar verse, maybe it's not. It says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's an important verse. Some commentators tell you it doesn't belong there. Some translations have removed it. I believe it's an important verse. In fact, I believe it is uh, probably the most clear verse when it comes to the Trinity. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Can't get much more clear than that. Um, so it's an important verse, and uh, one that we need, that God has preserved, that He first inspired, then preserved. Why would anyone want to take this verse out of the Bible? Who would want to take this verse out of the Bible? Someone who wants to cast doubt on the Trinity. Uh, wouldn't be God, that's for sure. Matthew three sixteen to 17, if you want to turn over to this one. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we see all three persons of the Godhead represented here. We have Christ at His baptism, the Son of God. We have the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And then we have the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we have all three persons of the Trinity represented here. In John 10.30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So while they they coexist as individual persons, and they sometimes operate as two separate persons. They are still one God. In the Old Testament, we go back to Genesis 1. Here's a great... <clears throat> it's interesting that in the very first chapter of the Word of God, we see evidence of this. Now, it's not spelled out quite as clearly as there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, but... We see a representation of multiple persons, yet one God. In verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter number 1, in the account of the creation of man, it says, And God said, Let us... Did you catch that? And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So, you notice in verse 26, the pronouns are plural. Us, our, and our. That doesn't refer to one person, does it? But then in 27, the pronoun is singular. His is singular. All... God talking about what he was doing. How is that possible? Well, because God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, yet one God. And we see that all throughout the Scripture bore out. We see it time and time again. And without 
laboring on this because I know we've talked about it before. We have pictures of this in creation. Uh, you and I are body, soul, and spirit. Um, we have time, past, present, and future. Um, we have, uh, come on, it's not mass, it's uh, matter, there we go. Uh, solid, liquid, and gas, and the list goes on and on. We can, we can have them all, uh, all work that way. So, one God, we understand that. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, one God and Father. So we see one God and Father. And it's interesting that sometimes, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. So, we understand the Father is one of the three persons in the Trinity, one of the three persons in the Godhead, and He with the other two persons, the Son and the Spirit, equal one God. The Father in multiple places in Scripture is referred to as one God. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. So the Father is referred to as one God, and then the Lord Jesus Christ as one Lord. We understand they're individual persons, and yet still one God. Don't lose your place in Ephesians, but over in Isaiah chapter 9, we're coming into the season where we may see this verse again, but over in Isaiah chapter number 9, in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born. Who's that speaking about? Jesus, Jesus right. So we're, we're talking about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about Jesus, and yet one of his titles given to him here is the Everlasting Father. Well, whenever we talk about the Father, we always separate that from Christ, and yet here in this verse, we see the Everlasting Father and Jesus being one person. And, of course, we already talked about how Christ made the statement that I and my Father are one. So we see this, uh, this playing out throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Mark chapter 12, turn over to this one with me. Mark chapter number 12. Verse 29, <clears throat> it says, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And Psalm 86.10 says, For thou art great, and doest wondrous things, thou art God alone. So we see, the, we see this, the Father, the Son, one, they're one Lord, one God, if we flip over to Psalms 95.3, we'll see that He is above all. Our passage in Ephesians makes that statement. Psalm chapter 95 and verse number 3. It says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So there are, 
and notice God's is little g God's. So while we may worship some other God, the one true God is above all of them. He's worthy of our worship. Anything else that we put in his place is not worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our adoration. Anything else we put in his place is not worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our service, of our dedication, of our commitment, of of everything that we can give him. In fact, if we're saved, the Bible tells us that we're bought with a a price. Therefore, we are not our own. We belong to him. So not only is he worthy of it, we owe it to him because we're his. We're not our own. We belong to him. And yet so often it is a struggle for us to recognize that and to put him in his proper place and worship him and serve him as we ought to. And I say we, including myself in that, because I'm not perfect, nor will I ever claim to be. I am far from it. I do look forward to the day when I am made perfect, uh, and I won't have these struggles any longer. One day that will take place, but not here on this earth in the meantime. But I'm thankful that we serve a gracious and merciful Savior. So that when I'm not perfect, when I do fail, when I do let him down, he doesn't kick me out on the street and let me fend for myself, but he's right there looking for me to get right with him and keep living for him. And he keeps using me for some reason. I, I wonder sometimes why or how he can use the likes of me, but he's, he's so good. Psalm 97, verse number 9, if we turn over here. says, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all little g-gods. Ephesians chapter number 1. We've seen this passage throughout our whole study in Ephesians several times. I know we're flipping around a lot, and it might be some of us are still getting used to it, I think, and uh, it may be new for some, but... I like to let the Bible speak for the Bible and not me try to give too much of my commentary because God tells us what he tells us because he wants us to know it and he uh, he's put it in his word so if I can I like to let him speak for himself instead of me trying to speak for him Ephesians 1 15 down through verse 23 It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So the Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. How is he praying for them? He tells us, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know and understand all the blessings, all that we have in Jesus Christ. But he goes on. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the passage clearly states, he is above all things, and all things are under his feet. We know that our God is greater than all things. You know what the word all means? All means all, right? And that's all all means. <laughs> it means all. So when it says that he is above all things, that he's greater than all things, and that all things are under his feet, that's what it means, all things. There's no exceptions. We can't, we can't go to other languages, we can't go to other translations and try to say, well, there's this exception, that. No, all is all. It's what it is. He is through all. Romans 11, if you would, turn over with me here. Romans chapter 11. Verses 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I love that passage. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is so much for us to learn and know about God. Why is that? Well, because he's infinite and we are finite. And understand that we will, we will never exhaust all of the wisdom and knowledge of God that can be found and discovered in the pages of His Word. We'll never exhaust it. When we think we have, God will reveal something else to us that we haven't seen or understood about Him. And one of the things I skipped right over, verse 36, I read it but didn't point it out, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. He is through all things. All things are through Him. Jeremiah 23, you don't have to turn there. It says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. He is everywhere. He is through everything. So can I, can I say this? For the Christian, there is no hiding from God. There is no hiding what we're doing. There's no hiding our thoughts. From God. He knows them all. Is that convicting? If we're hiding something? Absolutely. <laughs> and if we're not, it's convicting that we maybe have in the past, or maybe there's something we've thought of hiding. We can't hide from Him. It's all, His eyes see it all. His ears hear it all. He knows it all. So there's no sense in trying to hide. We're much better off just living for Him and leaving it all before Him and when we do something wrong, just getting it right. There's no sense trying to hide it. All that does is hinder our relationship with Him. To someone who's not a Christian, there's no hiding from Him. There's no thinking, well, maybe I could just be good enough and live in my sin, or maybe I can just, uh, maybe I can hide from God to the point that I'll finally make the decision to believe on Him. Well, if God's convicting your heart, I would, I would 
urge you not to wait because he may not be convicting your heart in the future. Get it dealt with while God is working on you. There's no getting away from him. There's no hiding him from him. God is everywhere. We can't avoid him. And you know, another thing to the Christian, when we're going through something difficult, even though we may not sense God is there, he's there. He is always with us. When things are hard, he is always with us. It's up to us to lean on him and rely on him in those times. But praise the Lord, he's always with us even when we don't. The final statement in this verse, the final phrase, and in you all. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Who exactly is he in? Well, remember the context of who this book has been penned to, who this epistle or letter has been written to. The church at Ephesus, right? And we understand who a church is made up of. People who have been born again. People who are saved. And as saved people, to save people, the Apostle Paul is saying, He is in you all. He is in you. Colossians 1.27, we turn over here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. What a blessing to know that Christ is in us. That is a, that is a blessing. 1 John 3.24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. How do we know that we're Christians? Well, because of the Spirit that's in us. The one that he's given us. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. 1 John 4, 12 to 15. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in us. God. So how do we know? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And what's the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of our sins. He helps us to understand the Word of God as we study it and as we read it. He helps us to be a witness. What's it say over in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. If we're saved, we all can be a witness. We all can tell others about Christ. Is it easy? Nope. It's hard for me to strike up a conversation with someone and tell them about Christ. Well, you're a pastor. It's, I mean, it's not always easy for me to stand up here. When God called me to, to preach, I fought it a bit because I was petrified of speaking in front of people. When I was in high school, I stood... Whenever we had group projects, I always stood in the back and held the sign 
and I might have hidden behind it if I could. You know, and, and I just I did not want to be in front of people. I was scared to death. I did not like it. I didn't like being the center of attention. I preferred to be able to just be invisible. That was my preference. And then uh, when I was in my early 20s, God called me to be a pastor. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and I told God, how in the world can I do this? I am petrified of speaking in front of people. I'm scared to death of it. And at the time, we were going to Churchill Baptist in Augusta, and at the time, there were over 120 people or so, 140 people on Sunday mornings. So knowing that if I told the pastor God had called me to preach, actually, Tim Brady was still there, so there might have been even more than that, probably 160, 170 people. And uh, I thought, how in the world? So I hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed, and I prayed one day. I was at work. We were working for Brian at the time, and I was at work on a break, and I was just praying, God, if this is really what you want me to do, you know that I'm not in myself able to do this because I'll get up and I'm just going to crumble. I won't be able to speak. I'll freeze. And uh, I opened my Bible up and uh, see if I can find the exact verses. Now, I'm not saying that this always works. In fact, it probably often doesn't. But I just kind of prayed and prayed and prayed, and I just flipped my Bible open, and I went, and I just started reading somewhere. And uh, it's right here in... Where is it here? You'd think I would have remembered this, but... No, it's not there, I don't think. Well, I'll tell you what it says. I thought it was 1 Corinthians, maybe 2 Corinthians. It says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the faith, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And in essence, when I read that, it was like God smote my heart. It is chapter 1. I'm just missing it here. I'm just skimming over it. Or 1 Corinthians. Anyways, I'll find it later. But God just smote my heart and said, you're giving me all of the excuses, like Moses did back in Exodus, of all the reasons why you're not able, why you're not capable, why you're not qualified. It's because of your fears. It's because of your uh, feelings of insufficiency. It's because of your uh, concerns about all the areas that you're not able to do this. But he said, for you say you're calling, brethren. God doesn't call the wise, the mighty, the noble, the strong. You find it, Brother Ron? 26, okay. There, there it is. I, I don't know why. I think I stopped at 25. My Bible has a heading right there, and I thought it was chapter 2 there, and I just kind of... For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I thought, well, I'm foolish. <laughs> God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And I thought, well, I'm weak. And base things of the world I felt pretty low, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And I thought, well, God, if you call me and you use me, there's no way I'll ever be able to glory for what I've done, because I know that I can't do it without you. I need you. You're going to have to do it through me, because I'm not able. So I just prayed over there in my seat, and I just sobbed. And a few minutes later, Erica was working there. I went over and I said, i got to talk to you. And she said, and I had my Bible open. 
And I set it down and she said, okay. And I couldn't even talk. I just wept <laughs> because it was so clear what God was doing. And I couldn't even communicate it with words. So finally, I, I got it together. and All I could do was read that passage. And she's probably sitting there thinking, so what is it? What are you, what are you saying? What are you trying? And I said, God's calling me to preach. And she just said, okay. So I called. Uh, pastor James was the assistant pastor at the time. But Tim Brady was, uh, he had just announced that he was moving back to North Carolina and that he wasn't going to be staying. He started the church, got it going for the first few years, and then he... Uh, went back to North Carolina, and Pastor James was voted in as the new pastor, but uh, we had gotten closer with Pastor James and Miss Karen, so I called him up and said, I really need to talk to you. Is there any time you and Miss Karen would have to get together? And he said, sure, but can you give me a little hint as to what it's about? I just like to be prepared if I need Bible verses or anything like that. And I said, okay. I said, I, I think God's calling me to preach. And he laughed, and I'm like, this ain't funny. I'm scared to death. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm about ready to run somewhere <laughs> where, where nobody knows me. I'm scared to death. And he laughed, and he said, yeah, he said, Pastor Tim and I have been talking. He said, we're not surprised. We've been waiting. We've been expecting it. And I thought, okay, well, great. So these guys knew, and I had no idea. And the whole time, I just was sweating bullets. And we finally went over. He says, well, would you be willing to give a testimony on Wednesday night? And at first, my reaction in my mind was, you want me to speak in front of people? I am scared to death to speak in front of people. And as that goes through my mind, the next thought was, but I just told him God called me to preach, which requires speaking in front of people. So I guess I'm going to have to get used to it. So I said, well, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know how long I'm going to talk. I said, expect 30 to 60 seconds, and I'll probably be back in my seat. And uh, I think it was like 20 minutes. Of course, probably 18 of it was me just crying and sobbing up there in front of everybody, but that's an exaggeration, but I did do a fair amount of crying that night, but uh, anyways, I say all that to say we're not God's, I mean we're not ours, we are God's, there we go, and God has a purpose and a plan for all of us, and don't limit what God can use you for because you think, well, I can't do that, I can't be a witness, well, I didn't think I could speak in front of people and I hated it and was petrified of it. But God called me to do it, and here I am doing the best I can with His help to deliver His messages to a body of believers that assembles here every Sunday for some reason. It's not because of me, I can assure you that. It's because of Him, and He has us here. So the fact that we are gods, or that He dwells in us, does bear with it some level of responsibility for all of us. I'm going to read two other verses. I'll read them out of my notes, and then I'll close. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 says, What? Question mark. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I know I've already said this through the message, but just to clearly give us the scripture to support it, we are not our own, we are His. And because we are His, the Bible says we are His temple, the Holy Spirit is living in us, He's dwelling in us, we need to keep the temple clean. 
So it is an honorable place for him to dwell. We ought to live for him and serve him. Why? Because we are bought with a price and we are not our own. So do we have to? We still have free will. God doesn't force us to do it. But we should do it willingly because we love him and we are thankful to him and we understand that we are his. We belong to him. All right, that's what I have for this morning. I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer. We'll have a moment of invitation and then we'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we've been able to look into your word and consider these passages of Scripture and what we learn from them. Lord, that there is, in fact, one God, three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, yet all equaling one God. And at times that's hard for us to comprehend, but it's the truth, and we take it on faith, and we believe it, and we comprehend it to the best of our ability with your help because it's what your word says is true. And Father, we also know that you are one God, that you are above all, everything is under your feet. You are through all, you're everywheres, and you are in us who believe. And Lord, I pray that understanding those truths would motivate us, would give us a desire to want to live for you and serve you and honor you with our lives. And if we consider those truths with the ones we've learned over the weeks past, that there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope of our calling, Lord, when we put them all together, we are so blessed. We're so blessed to be saved. We're so blessed to be a part of of. Uh, having a relationship with you, of being able to assemble with a body of believers that love you and that love each other and want to serve you. And Lord, I pray that every single day, as we sang a little while ago, set our soul, on, uh, set our soul afire. Lord, I pray that nothing else would matter but living for you and being a witness for you. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to fall in love with you more than we've ever been in love with you before and to dedicate and give our lives to you like we've never dedicated and given our lives to you before. I pray you'd help us to do it. Before we close the prayer this morning, is there anyone here that would slip up their hand and say, Pastor Nathan, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I can't say that I'm a Christian. I've never believed and trusted Jesus Christ.